TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. This is the Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at Western New York with news, features, and special guests. Now, here's your host, Brian Rusk. Welcome to the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520 at the recommendation of civic leader in Florida, David Kreskoff. We have a very unusual program today regarding artwork and the authenticity of this artwork, and it is uh, supposed to be painted by Michelangelo, and we're going to be talking to the owner of this uh, famous artwork. His name is Marty Kober, and I'll tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Marty Kober was born in Syracuse, New York, then lived the majority of his early life just outside of Rochester, New York. After graduating from high school in 75, he enlisted in the United States Air Force, where he was stationed for two years in Tokyo and a year in Duluth, Minnesota. He was then transferred back to western New York, where he remained with the New York Air National Guard's 107th Fighter Wing in Niagara Falls, New York for 24 years and lived in the Buffalo area. We'll learn more about Marty Kober later. And what brings this all to light, this program, is the New York Times article of May 26, uh, 2011. I'll just read the first paragraph of this uh, by Kevin Flynn and Randy Kennedy. In 1885, when the Metropolitan Museum of Art was young and New York was home to much new wealth, but only a few old masters, the museum showcased a painting on loan from Europe that created a minor stir. Now, we're talking basically about an easel painting uh, by Michelangelo. And tell us, Marty, uh, you're the owner of this. Uh, is this a painting by Michelangelo? Well, I would tell you yes. And uh, some friends uh, that I've made uh, in Italy would tell you yes also. And, you know, the big question is, uh, how do we authenticate a painting that has a great provenance? It's been scientifically tested and stylistically compared to works by Michelangelo. What we're waiting for is other academics and art connoisseurs to, you know, catch up with some of the updates that have happened that maybe they're not aware of, or maybe they their narrative has been for so long that Michelangelo never made easel paintings during this period of his life, can accept that uh, they're wrong and this new documentation, you know, uh, will help support, you know, my cause. Okay. Where is this famous painting as we speak? Is it in New York or in Florida? Well, it's at a, uh, a safe, uh, safe uh, art storage facility. Uh, in a uh, in a vault, basically. So uh, that's all we need to know. <laughs> well, it's a shame that people can't view this uh, um, w- uh, this painting, which you believe uh, is artwork by Michelangelo. Uh, doesn't that bother you? Oh, 
it does, but uh, there was a new discovery of another painting said to be by Michelangelo just in the news last week in the, in the, uh, near Amsterdam, and it was in a church that the Padre thought was by Michelangelo because there's a drawing of the same image by Michelangelo, and that painting was just stolen. So, uh, you know, I, I'm doing the right thing by you know, spending a chunk of change to keep it safely, you know, in a humidity-controlled facility. Um, but trust me, if anybody wants to see this, it's an art historian, a museum curator, an art connoisseur, they can do it. What's most amazing, as you say, it should be seen, is that nobody here in the U.S. with a big story, like you said, at the uh, out of the New York Times, you know, CBS has had uh, the story online just last year, I think it was, maybe the year before, and many others, you know. Oprah Winfrey uh, uh, did a 30-minute show on it on their uh, OWN network. Uh, Discovery Science, after finding fingerprints when they restored this in Rome in 2011, 2012, uh, they got interested and came to me and said, uh, hey, we'd like to do, you know, a, a documentary on this and use the science aspect of it, uh, you know, tracing fingerprints, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hard to turn uh, Oprah down, hard to turn Discovery Science down. I turned a lot of other media type of things away that really wouldn't have done me any good. Um, but, yeah, you would think more people would like to study this but, you know, part of that is the academics here, you know, believe that Michelangelo just didn't make paintings during this period, uh, so it can't be by Michelangelo, which is really not the truth, you know. We have plenty of documents that tell us that, you know, uh, from the people of the period, primary source documents, writing of a painting being made. So, uh, you know, that's what we have to contend with. Well, well, let's learn a little bit about the Pieta, the painting that has reemerged as the main character in this compelling art historical mystery. Tell us about the painting, what it represents, what it looks like, and where perhaps somebody can look at this online, because it seems to be a shame that this is not for public display for hundreds of thousands of people to view. Yeah, well, you could just Google, you know, uh, Buffalo, New York, and Michelangelo, and you're going to be able to see images of this. Uh, most of them will be before it was restored. Uh, so it's obviously cleaned up and a little more shiny than it was uh, on most of those pictures. But, uh, um, you know, it's an image. Uh, ultimately, how this painting was created was Michelangelo was involved with this group of spiritual reformers called the spirituality. Some academics today don't even want to acknowledge that, you know, that it was really a group of people that were part of, uh, you know, reforming the church. Uh, they had more of a Protestant uh, idea that you're, you were saved by your faith and faith alone versus the Catholic view that it was your faith and your good deeds, you know. So those thoughts would have been considered heresy by the church, and some of these people were, you know, ultimately hunted down and executed, but the people at the top uh, managed to, to, to stay alive. But uh, some believe that Michelangelo created this image of uh, a dead Christ draped between the Madonna's legs with an angel on each arm, you know, helping support the weight of, uh, of our Savior. Um, others believe that Victoria Colonna, 
this woman that Michelangelo was very uh, affectionate with and had a great friendship and shared a lot of uh, uh, time together and wrote poems and sonnets back and forth to each other. Uh, she wrote a, a number of meditations uh, on this dead Christ and the Madonna, and some believe that it's her writings that helped inspire Michelangelo to create this image, you know. And uh, the, the pro one of the big problems with people accepting this, academics anyway, is, you know, Giorgio Vasari was the first art historian, really. He wrote this, uh, the first mm -hmm. art history book of the uh, most, uh, you know, excellent painters, sculptors, and artists. He published it in 1550. Michelangelo was the only living artist. The rest were dead. Uh, Michelangelo had 100 pages. Leonardo da Vinci had 10. And then the page count went down from there. But in this uh, chapter on Michelangelo, uh, the only thing that Vasari wrote about this idea of this pieta was that you know, Vittoria and Michelangelo were friendly. They shared poems and letters together. Vittoria would often go to Rome from Viterbo to, to visit him. And Michelangelo designed for her a marvelous pieta with two little angels. So the idea that he designed or drew for her uh, a pieta, you know, has art historians captivated with that idea that he only drew for her. But in a thank you letter to Michelangelo, Vittoria writes to him, uh, thanking him for a sweet, a sweet Christ that was perfectly painted. Perfumente avete dipinto, have perfectly painted. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, modern scholars interpret that as, you know, Vittoria once thanked him for drawing, for a drawing by praising it as perfectly painted. And, and that's a narrative that especially since my story has come out with the idea of a painting, not just a painting, but a very high quality painting, you know, they, they've even, you know, published more that, uh, you know, only a drawing was made. So, uh, you know, that's kind of the fight we're up against uh, academically. And of course you want your academics to support, you know, a new discovery, uh, so, and Victoria, you know, there's other documents. Victoria writes to Cardinal Reginald Pohl. Uh, ultimately, you know, saying, I hope this proves in painted form acceptable. Uh, I now send you the work. And later, Pohl writes to another Cardinal saying, hey, I happen to have a Pieta by Michelangelo. If you like, if you like it, you can have it because I can get another one from Victoria. Uh, so obviously, Vittoria had two images of this pieta, a drawn form and a painted form. And that's a serious hypothesis that, you know, other academics are supporting. And uh, the other colonel's response back to him was, yes, I want to borrow the, the quadro, which means painting also, the pinto and quadro both mean painting. Um, but I just want to borrow it for my artist to make a copy of it, um, and then I'll send it back to you. So, you know, we have all these documents talking of a painting. We have pay records for the artist of making a pieta, you know, of a painting from Michelangelo. And, you know, there's just all these things are, you know, happening because uh, ultimately Antonio Forcellino has written about this uh, this painting also, 
and uh, in his book, The Lost Michelangelo, and uh, ultimately through his hard work, you know, the painting went to Italy where it was restored, exhibited, and uh, the institute that oversaw the restoration published the book on all of the restoration data that was collected. But again, it's a compelling document of information that, you know, when you look at a painting scientifically, it, it tells you a, a number of things. You know, one of them is, was this an original work or was it a copy by a, a copyist working for Michelangelo? And all of the evidence that the underdrawing, the infrared photography shows you, shows you, you know, a master's, a very confident underdrawing and not a, a, a copy of a drawing that a student would transfer to a, a wooden panel. Uh, there's multiple changes made from the underdrawing to the actual painted uh, figures that you see. And, and that, again, when you're an expert in restoring artwork, you would know that only a master artist is going to make those kind of changes. Um, the images that you see, the angels, uh, they're actually painted naked first, and then the drapery is painted over them. The stone that all the four figures are uh, resting on uh, was painted first, and then the, the bodies were painted on. Again, a copyist would just paint, you know, the image that they're copying. They would have no reason to build the foundation of a work. Um, and all of those things tell you that it's a master artist that's painting it, you know. So, you know, those are the kind of things that this painting has, you know, when it tells its own story through, uh, you know, science and expertise. Well, it's a very beautiful uh, painting. I'm looking at it. I urge all of our listeners, the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520, to Google this New York Times article about this. It's called The Pieta Behind the Couch by Kevin Flynn and Randy Kennedy, May 26, 2011. Our guest is the owner of this Pieta painting. He claims is painted uh, by Michelangelo, the world-famous artist. Our guest is Marty Kober, who hails from western New York and Boynton Beach, Florida, recommended by David Kreskoff to be on the Rust Report. If you're listening in northern Florida, Washington, Buffalo, or Montreal, drop us a note. To Brian Rusk, ESPN, AM 1520, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. I'd like to thank those who called regarding our recent guest, David Brenneman, President of the Society of Four Arts in Palm Beach, U.S. Congressman Chris Collins, and author and former executive of the Lifetime Television, Paul Noble. Coming up, we'll have the Vice Council of Italy and Marissa Marulli, a famous photographer and entrepreneur from California. A little a plug here. For 60 years, the Ampol Legal has been Polonia's newspaper, sharing our Polish heritage with the readers. News, feature, articles, great columns and recipes have filled our pages for six decades. If you haven't read our paper, we invite you to try our winter special, Six Months, for $15. That's 26 issues, including our great Easter editions for only $15. Call 716-835-9454 to order or click on the services menu on our website. 
www.ampoleagle.com and put winter special in the comments box. And ESPN 1520 is streaming. You can listen live by going to our website, ESPN1520.com, and clicking on the radio.com or listen tab. A little bit more information about Marty Kober, recommended by civic leader David Kreskoff to be on the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520. Upon completing the college requirements necessary to attend Air Force Flight School, Marty Kober was selected to become a pilot for Niagara's 136th Fighter Squadron. He trained extensively to fly the F-4 and F-16 fighter jets and later trained in the KC-135 air refueling tanker before retiring from Niagara as lieutenant colonel in 2002. Now I'd like to talk a little bit more about this infrared infrared examination of the underdrawing of the Michelangelo painting Marty Kober believes to be true. Tell us about this examination and if you have done any uh, chemical analysis uh, to prove the date and authenticity of this Michelangelo. Well, sure. Uh, the underdrawing is just, you know, a, uh, an imaging device that, uh, that looks through the paint layer and it looks for carbon, whether it's a uh, carbon of a, of a pencil or a liquid carbon that an artist uh, you know, would use a, a liquid with a paintbrush to make a more smoother kind of a uh, preliminary preliminary drawing on top of a wooden panel that would have some sort of gesso, uh, you know, kind of a plaster a primer. And then once he does that, you know, he's got his outline of his uh, of his creation in front of him. And over time, some of that graphite does show through very thin. Uh, paint layer, uh, but if not, well, then you use this infrared imaging, and you get a beautiful, you know, digital. Today we have digital images on a jumbo computer screen that, you know, you can blow up full size with a, a big megabyte file, and look at very, you know, close details of, of what you're looking at. So if, if you have a, a, an, a, an apprentice, you know, transferring an underdrawing to his wooden panel, he is going to paint, you know, within the lines because that's the master's design and he doesn't want to change anything. But if you're the master that created the design and as you, you know, uh, add color to it, things change, your perspective, the depth. So you might want to make an arm or a leg thicker to make it look more proportionally correct that the drawing doesn't quite show you. So that's when you would go outside the line. And so you can see that, you know, imagery of where the paint is compared to where the drawing is. And like I say, we have many changes. The, uh, the Madonna's uh, uh, ruffled neck collar uh, was lowered from where the drawing was uh, quite a bit, almost a little risque for a Madonna that, that you know, wouldn't be represented at represented quite that way and many of these paintings that were copied after Michelangelo's work has little uh, uh, lace uh, layer kind of heightening the neckline to make it look more appropriate for the Madonna you know, uh, you know one of the first things Antonio Forcellino did with uh, Lorenzo di Alessandro who ultimately restored this painting in uh-huh. Rome when they 
that came to Buffalo in 2009 was the Madonna would never have a, a green as part of her uh, attire. It would always be blue, uh, blue, a divine color. Green is more of a pagan color. So and on my painting, it looks very green, her, her leggings. So the first thing they did was clean that knee a little bit. And mm-hmm. I was different room and they were shouting and yelling and I'm like, what's going on? What's wrong? They go, no, it's great. What happens with old paintings is they oxidize over time. So as they cleaned away some of the dirt layers and some of this oxidation, you know, the green turned more to a blue, which is the first thing that they wanted to check because if it indeed was green, there's no way Michelangelo could have been the artist because he would never paint the Madonna you know, her dress in a green color, it would always be blue. So, you know, that's just what experience teaches you. That's what science gives you, some of these insights. And, uh, you know, the institute that oversaw this, uh, translate, the ISCR in Rome, is one of the highest authorities on the study, care, and restoration of Renaissance artwork. And, uh, you know, all of the work that, that they did when this painting was being restored is, you know, tabulated in this book that they produced, you know, the, uh, the Ragusa Pieta, History and Restoration. And it puts all this information down there explaining some of it, you know, and the idea is that our historians will read this technical analysis uh, because not all our art historians are experts in art conservation, art restoration, you know. So uh, for me, it was a great a great trip to watch them work on this painting and ultimately exhibit it and uh you know showcase it the way they did well let's let's talk a little bit about this uh exhibition rome in the renaissance where this was displayed what was the reaction of the public and the art experts to this seven and a half years ago yeah i don't i don't really know i mean you would think if they were really enthralled with it that they would have come forward to say yeah this is this is the real deal some some were but haven't voiced their opinion um ultimately the exhibition was successful it was extended for a couple months and the location of my painting was actually in in you know the pa- uh, the place of pride as they call it it was an elevated alcove with my painting at the end of the little hallway mm-hmm. and you know, you, you had to climb up to it to get to it before you left the exhibition. And, uh, you know, most people that were involved with this restoration at this institute uh, were very satisfied, and all of them are convinced that this is a Michelangelo. But, you know, their job at this institute is not to give attributions, it's to provide the data here in this book so that art historians, who are usually considered, you know, experts, uh, you know, can read it and make their decision, you know, or come to an understanding. And, uh, you know, I just sent a book to a guy that wrote negatively about Antonio's book, The Lost Michelangelo's, and after four years, he finally, you know, wrote back after I queried him, and he said, you know, I, I can't see this as being by Michelangelo, and in the end, these judgments, however much evidence there may be available a matter of gut feeling, and you know, we can all always be wrong. And, you know, that's ultimately, that's totally against, you know, the modern-day interpretation of art authentication. It's not your gut feeling. Sure, that's a part of it, but 
you have to judge the provenance, the history of the painting, which we have a, an incredible uh, exact provenance. We have incredible, you know, uh, stylistic comparisons uh, and uh, technical support that all supports this. The pigments were the same pigments used by Michelangelo. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and the, he also painted in tempera, the modern day way of painting during this period was oil painting. So for uh, an artist to be using tempera painting, which is animal glue basically mixed with your pigments, right. uh, was a, all, a very outdated technique. So again, that would limit who the possible artist could be that would have painted this. And, you know, when you put a lot of those things together, you know, the only thing you can really come up with is that, you know, it's either Michelangelo or some new artist that this institute has who has studied all of these Renaissance artists, they ultimately said it would have to be a new artist that we've never, ever seen before, which would be more hard to believe than if it was by Michelangelo. So, Our guest know, today is Marty Kober, who has what is seen as a painting by Michelangelo. It's, it's being kept in storage. Uh, what is the next step to authenticate that this is uh, a Pieta painted by Michelangelo to have world acceptance of this. What's the next step, Marty Kober? Yeah, I think that, you know, the process that we've gone through, I've had this painting since 2002, even though it's been in my family since 1883. Uh, I think I've made pretty much pretty good strides. We're in a good position, you know, it's just the process. It takes time. Um, you're not going to convince people that will interpret a, a, a lady that wrote you know, uh, perfectly painted as she thought the drawing was so beautiful it's as if it was painted. You're not going to convince those people of what the truth is in these documents. Um, so maybe we just have to wait for old art historians to go away and let a new generation interpret these their own way. But I'm more hopeful than, than that. I think that uh, there's people that are interested in this painting and... Uh, uh, whether it's ownership or support, you know, I'd love a philanthropic organization or individual to come forward and say, hey, if this is a Michelangelo, we should safeguard it and study it here in America, and uh, what better place to do it? You know, we have some incredible institutions with great equipment, great people, but if nobody's interested, then, you know, we'll just, uh, you know, stumble forward as best we can, I guess, you know. Well, we've learned... We've learned a great deal from the owner of what he believes is an original by Michelangelo, a painting, a Pieta, and uh, it's very beautiful. Uh, uh, I urge all of our listeners to Google and take a look at this Michelangelo uh, uh, painting. It's uh, owned by Marty Kober of Boynton Beach, Florida, and uh, Buffalo, New York. Have any thoughts or comments, please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. Thanks to David Kreskoff of Boynton Beach, Florida, for recommending this program, and Kevin Carr, our director of production for the past, past 15 years. Thank you for enlightening us about this Michelangelo painting, Marty Kober of Boynton Beach, Florida, and Buffalo, New York. Have a great week. Okay. You've been listening to The Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at the western New York community.
news, features, and special guests. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write to Brian Rusk, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Amherst, New York, 14226. Let's be real. The odds of a high school athlete getting a college scholarship and making it to the pros are pretty slim. Don't get me wrong, it's okay to dream of becoming a pro athlete, even a famous one. But that's not why I play. My reason why? I love the competition. My reason why is community. My reason why is leadership. My reason why is to challenge myself. My reason why is love for the game. And hey, if we don't make it to the pros or onto the cover of Sports Illustrated, that's okay because there's every reason to believe we'll excel in something even bigger than sports. We'll excel in life. There are lots of great reasons to play high school sports. Tell us your reason using the hashtag MyReasonWhy. This message presented by the NFHS and the New York State Public High School Athletic Association. Meet Josh. Hi, everybody. Josh is a high school basketball player, solid shooter, great teammate. Hey, don't forget my tenacious D. And he's my son. Oh. So what does Josh do to be the best basketball player he can be? I play tennis. Studies show that student athletes here in New York who play more than one high school sport are more likely to excel. Tennis does more than improve Josh's conditioning. It gives him a fresh competitive outlet, reduces the risk of injury by cross-training, and introduces him to different coaching techniques and new friends. Don't get me wrong, hoops are my first love. Tennis just gives me a little break. So when the new season begins, Josh isn't burned out on basketball. He's eager to play. And you can see the difference in his game. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Buffalo's home for Golick and Wingo weekday mornings at 6 on ESPN 1520. Stand by for a test of the emergency alert system on WWKB Buffalo. In the event of an actual emergency, this system would bring you news and important information. This concludes the test of the emergency alert system. You're listening to the official voice of the UB Bulls, ESPN 1520, WWKB Buffalo, a radio.com station. The following is paid programming. Opinions expressed are not necessarily those of this radio station, its advertisers, or sponsors. I think he takes um, a realistic attitude and point of view on life, society, and the way it really is. I mean, even liberals um, like me listen to Dr. J. Richards every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. with um, special guests like myself and flaming Barney Frank and not-too-sharp Al Sharpton. That old love-making jack-in-the-box, Jesse Jackson. <laughs> it's a great show, and as Monica would say, it's a humdinger. The Dr. J. Richards Show. Turn it up. And now, because it seemed like a good idea when we were drunk and needed cheap talent. Guess who's back again? 
TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.